Objects, said philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, should not touch because they are not alive. You use them, put them back in place, you live among them, they are useful, nothing more. But they touch me, it's unbearable. I'm afraid of being in contact with them as though they were living beasts. After using my mum's old Tupperware containers as grief therapy after she passed away a few years ago, I became fascinated at how and why such a simple piece of plastic could hold so much emotion for me. How could these objects touch me so deeply? So I became overtaken with wonder at how my use of objects owned, used and cherished by her could be so powerful and therapeutic. Why do we invest so much in things? How could a basic, empty plastic container, a mere tool, make us so happy? And surely, in a world crowded with waste, disposability, materialism and hyper-consumerism, investing meaning in objects, in stuff, is part of the problem. And Tupperware, I mean, it's just an empty plastic container bound for landfill, right? Or is it a container of fascinating intergenerational stories? Well, I'm on the road to discovering the answers to these questions, plus a whole world of stories about us. Women, men, people, children, community, food, family, friendship, empowerment, and more. So Sartre, it seems, was onto something. Objects just aren't objects. My name is Megan Spencer, and this is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast. All right, we're recording, and it's recording. Anna and I have known each other since 1995. We've made films together, broken bread together, and on occasion even followed each other around the world. A craft and DIY queen, she's always inspired me with her dedication to making, be it food, clothes, gardening, or jam. She has a sizable plastic container collection, and she's also partial to a bit of plastic jewellery. So, Anna... We're sitting in front of three light blue uh, icy pole holders or homemade icy pole makers by Tupperware. <laughs> Tell us about them, um, the history behind them. I suppose I actually bought these probably more than 10 years ago when I was, I was actually single at the time and I, I think someone invited me to a, a friend of mine. Her cousin was starting off her Tupperware sort of journey and wanted to do a Tupperware party for her, so we went along and it was one of, I think, about three or four things I bought. Um, and the reason why I felt attracted to it was because it was actually something that my mum had when we were growing up and I had sort of very fond memories of, you know, homemade icy poles. And, you know, I thought, oh, it was good. I didn't, I have to admit, I didn't actually use it a lot until I actually had my own child and then, you know, it, for summer it was great because you just chuck juice in it or mix up fruit or whatever and just throw it in and freeze it. So it worked, you know, it was sort of an easy way to make icy poles and that weren't full of sugar. <laughs> well, tell us about some of your memories when you were a child using these because I, I also have the same memories. Ours were white yes, and same. they weren't quite as sturdy, I have to say, but the design... I'll get you to open that for mm. me, is exactly the same. So the thing that always intrigued me as a kid was why would the inner stick have holes through it? <laughs> I used to ponder this as I would slurp on it and it would get down to the nub. <laughs> but there must be some reason for that. Did you ever have the same pondering? 
<laughs> no, I just remember we always, like like this one, it has been quite substantially chewed, chewed by the small child where if you have a look through the set, I think there's maybe only two or three at the absolute max of these sticks that haven't been chewed to a bit of a pulp. So, um, no, I don't remember contemplating that. I, I do remember, like, I have memories and, I, you know, it's something that still happens now is, like, filling them up too much and then when you put, put the lid on and the stick in it overflowing everywhere, you end up with some sort of sticky frozen mess. I remember playing with them and filling them up and things but I it's funny I, I don't remember as a kid actually eating the icy pile so much so with Tupperware I mean like you're a feminist you're a feminist filmmaker <laughs> and you're really into do-it-yourself like you are like one of possibly the queen you out of all my friends that I know you're the one who makes their own food but you don't even only make your own food you make the stuff that goes into things and the bedrock of everything in your pantry mostly is is what you've made. You grow your own veggies, but this is not just a, a fashion or a, a a whim. This is something that you actually devote a lot of time to. Do you find this kind of stuff really helps with DIY at home in the kitchen? Well, I think definitely, and I mean, I mean, I suppose that a lot of what you know, drives, I mean, you know, sometimes it has been economics that has driven this um, do-it-yourself, like particularly when I was a student and things, I just, you know, that's what you just had Mm. to do to sort of, you know, whether it's making your own clothes or, you know, making bread or whatever, it was, it was, you know, a cheaper option sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, now I suppose it's like, you know, I think particularly with Tupperware, it's more about, well, the fact that you can reuse it again and again and again. Like, I mean, one of the things I bought, which I used occasionally was like this sandwich box as well, which I didn't really use that much. And and now that my child started school, it's like it's getting used every day because it's great. You don't have to wrap a sandwich up in glad wrap. I suppose for me, it's about not consuming so much as well. And, you know, really thinking about, you know, what you consume and how you consume it and, you know, trying to create a minimal amount of waste as well. You know, our society's got so disposable on, you know, in terms of the way we consume things. We don't repair anything anymore because that's more expensive than going out and buying a new one. So I sort of, um, yeah, that's the thing I like about Tupperware and the fact that, you know, you can, if your lids break, they will replace them and things. It's a <laughs> lifetime guarantee. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome for a product. I mean, the other thing is, like, I hate washing dishes, so this is also awesome for me because it's just like charcoal in the dishwasher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't warp or go crazy like a lot of other stuff. I'm Megan Spencer and you're listening to Auspicious Plastic, a podcast about objects and the happiness they can bring us. Today I'm sitting in the kitchen of my old friend Anna Brownfield. We're talking about Tupperware, its functionality and how it can actually help reduce consumption, especially when it comes to packaging. Actually, just getting back to your other question mm. before about being a feminist in Tupperware, I actually remember when we sort of were invited to this Tupperware party, there was the initial thing of like, oh, bloody, t- you know, Tupperware, oh, it's such... But I think, I mean, the thing that's sort of been interesting about Tupperware, it's like although it was, you know, women often selling to women, but, I mean, nowadays, we're, you know, there's also a lot of men selling it as well. So, but, you know, I suppose it was a one way, particularly post-war, for women to actually make a living. Um, when they were sort of told, well, oh, thanks very much for working and helping us during the war effort, but now it's time to go back to the home and look after your husband and pop out some babies. <laughs> so um, that I quite... 
So I was I was quite hesitant to go to this Tupperware party, but I mean, you know, they started off by making his cocktail, so you know, I suppose that's going to get anyone <laughs> in the mood, isn't it? So, and I think that's the interesting thing is how Tupperware has also evolved, like with people's needs, and you know, I suppose you know, the modern woman's needs or the modern family's needs as well, or person's needs. So. Isn't it amazing though? It was a, it was almost a status symbol too. Like mm. my auntie talks about how when she could afford to buy this, she felt like she was sort of moving up in the world or uh, it was like almost a symbol of things getting easier and getting better as she her generation progressed in life because they'd come out of a lot of hardship and poverty mm. and their dad was away at war and all that sort of stuff. So post-war generations of women. And I kind of really resent it when I hear people who have Tupperware parties getting poo-pooed because it actually meant a lot in, mm. in back in the day and I think in some ways maybe it still does. Well, I think so because, I mean, if you look at the sort of price point, I suppose, of most Tupperware, like, you know, I can probably go to the supermarket and buy sort of a plastic container, you know, for probably about a quarter or less of the price but at the same time I suppose it's just that thing is that, you know, it is kind of pretty much indestructible. So, so it kind of fits in with your modern <laughs> ethos which is to reduce consumption and use stuff that helps you do that in mm. a way oh definitely definitely i think it's part of sort of i suppose my yeah reuse recycle you know all that sort of <laughs> yeah. you know consume less because yeah. it means that as i said you're buying just one item rather than yeah. buying you know and having that for a lifetime which is what sort of i suppose our parents generations used to do more they used to just buy one thing that was really good quality and the idea that that would last you for your life and you know i remember doing that in my early 20s when I finally sort of had a bit of money or mid-20s and I you know bought myself two really good saucepans and you know I still have those saucepans and I bought myself a really good knife and it was just it just meant that you know that that continues on and I'm not having to keep buying and consuming and adding more to landfill. Yeah and I suppose these become symbols of certain times in our lives these objects we mm. invest a lot in them don't we? <laughs> oh, absolutely well I think it's that that whole thing about you know, an object is just an object, but then it, it, it gets personal value when there's a story behind it mm. or when it's, a, you know, whether it's, you know, and as you say, the same thing with Tupperware being seen as like a status symbol, like it was, mm. you know, something that you would aspire to getting. Mm. Um, just back on this <clears throat> idea of like women gathering, <laughs> one of the things that really does irk me is when there's big groups or small groups of women that it's kind of written off as hysterical and this kind of idea that it's, it's it's a, it's superficial. It doesn't mean anything. That it's just crazy, hysterical women gathering and having a bit of you know gossip fun, and that that still kind of holds true. And I, I wonder, in some context, and I wonder if Tupperware parties are still seen like that. I suppose it's more that I see that sort of gathering of women nowadays. I mean, I I also wonder, you know, whether. I mean, it'd be interesting to find out whether Tupperware parties were used as a way to share information and share knowledge as well, like I think a lot of gatherings of women have have done in the past and still do today. I mean, I mean, I really like that sort of element of women gathering simply because I think, particularly in this modern world, you know, we're so obsessed with social media and, you know, everything's about being connected online and we're so connected, but we've sort of become really disconnected. And I think for me, those sort of gatherings of women and whether it's you know for Tupperware parties or craftenoons or it's almost like I suppose therapy but I think it's also you know connecting with people and sharing stories and sharing knowledge and sharing skills and and that for me I think is you know it's 
is, is like a type of therapy that, you know, you, I come out of those times just going, oh, you know, I feel so much better that, you know, I've, I've connected with people in person where, and it's like, I suppose, a community, whereas we don't really, you know, we don't really know our neighbours anymore. We don't really have that sense of community um, as much in our lives. You know, we're all too busy to spend time with people. What's the weirdest thing you've ever put in one of these icy pole makers? I did, uh Probably the most grotesque thing I tried to make. I tried to make some pineapple and coconut cream, like icy poles, but I don't know. I think when I mixed the two up, it kind of curdled and then it froze. So that was, that was, and it, it needed really a bit more um, sweetener or something. And it was, that was pretty gross. But it probably the, the one thing I made recently was gin and tonic um, icy pole. So, you know, going for the adult, adult concoction. So, how were they? They were pretty good, actually, yeah. And I also put um, pieces of cucumber in them so they froze. So they, they were pretty nice on a hot day. But, look, I mean, I just love doing, you know, because, again, I suppose it's that reuse, recycle. It's like, you know, you get to the fruits getting, you know, a bit soggy in the bowl. It's like, well, chuck it in a blender or something with a bit of other fruit juice or a bit of water and then put it in those and then you've got, you got icy bowls. And then a bit of alcohol. <laughs> well, that's if you're making it for adults and not for kids. <laughs> Oh, you're so PC these days. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, you can't give that kids too alcohol too young, can you? Oh, can't you? Really? <laughs> Apparently it causes brain damage. <laughs> Thank you, Mama Anna. <laughs> no problems. That's it for this episode of Auspicious Plastic. Huge thanks to my guests today for their time and willingness to share their ideas and stories about the things that they love. And massive thanks also to gifted music composer and musician Jeremy Common, a.k.a. Cooper Black, for creating the auspicious music theme for this podcast. Find the full complement of his music online at cooperblack.bandcamp.com. And if you'd like to share your own story about an auspicious object or plastic with me, get in touch by emailing me at hello at themeganspencer.com or you can visit my website, themeganspencer.com. And thank you to you, auspicious listener. I'm grateful for your time, attention and feedback. My name's Megan Spencer and you've been listening to Auspicious Plastic, a podcast about objects made with love and dedicated to my mother Margaret. Till next time.